Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one, and welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining me today, folks, we have Carrie Fox, the founder and CEO of Mission Partners. Carrie, thanks for being with us today. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Great to have you on, and, and we've got a special Halloween episode for everyone today. Carrie, I, I hear you guys are wearing Monsters, Inc. outfits. Tell me a little bit about that. We are spooky, scary Monsters, Inc. Here we come. Yes, my husband and I and our two daughters, Sophia and Kate, uh, we are all dressing up. We'll bring the dog along uh, for a Monsters, Inc. family, including a trunk or treat tomorrow. And I have absolutely no idea how I will decorate the trunk of our car, but we're, we're game. We're going to give it a go. You know, there's, there's an interesting theme in that movie, Monsters, Inc., and, and it's the boogeyman. Right? Mm-hmm. We're all scared of the boogeyman, but in reality, the boogeyman is a nice, genuine, fun, friendly, big, hairy person or monster, which is actually a, a person who is not scary at all. Carrie, for you in your career, did you ever have a boogeyman, something that you were kind of scared of, but when you actually approached it, you actually got through it, you actually found out? It wasn't that hard in the first place. It wasn't what you thought it was <laughs> when you began. Kevin, I think I can think of one of those every day of my life. But you know what? I think that's why I like the idea of the the boogeyman, right? I, I'm not a huge fan of scary Halloween movies, but I like the idea of 
of pushing ourselves to the edge, right? Like getting a little scared every day because it feels like that's the place that we learn so much, right? That's the, that's the place we feel like we can figure out what we're possible, what's possible, right? What we're capable of. It's the growing edge, right? It's getting to that point, kind of being in those situations when there's turmoil as what really creates a lot of opportunity. Do you notice when with the managers you're working with, the leaders that you're working with, do you think that when these situations happen, they recognize those opportunities? How do you approach mm-hmm. turmoil in a, in a company? Yeah, it's great. Have you ever heard this uh, idea of walking to the edge of the water? So it's our comfort zone versus our danger zone. No. We use this a lot in our work. There's a, a great concept of if you think about a small child walking to the edge of the ocean for the first time, right? And you're carefully holding that child's hand not to get too close to the water with the big waves, that many times in life we stay in our comfort zone, right? That's on the sand, that's away from the waves. We know what can happen up on the sand, right? We're safe there. There's our comfort zone, our safety zone, right? You move a little bit further down and sometimes you get too far into the waves, right? You're you're hit by the uh, the riptide and you're in the danger zone. You're too far into the water. But right in between those two things is your growth zone. So if you're right on the edge of those big waves, still maybe holding someone's hand, you're going to be learning a lot about life. And often that's where we're stepping in to work with our clients, right? We're a social impact communications firm. We are meeting our clients in incredible moments of transition and opportunity where they are at a fork in the road and they have to figure out which way to go that there is a lot of value meeting them and helping to guide them into the growth zone. Because we know that's where transformation can happen. I was really looking forward to this interview because you have a lot of experience and I guess what I call, maybe it's different, but help, help me if I'm on the same page as you, change management, hmm. where you're dealing with, whether it's an integration or a drastic change in the organization. And the thing about change is people will always resist it. No matter who you are, even if you're leading it, you will resist it. What are some things leaders listening to this podcast can take away before undergoing a situation like that? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I love about that question so much is especially the last few years, right? We've known nothing but change. There has been so much rapid change in every part of our world, in our environment, in technology, in medical developments in the workplace you can't you can't find static right <laughs> if you if you looked everything is dynamic these days and that puts a lot of pressure on how we need to show up and keep up and think about you know where we are in the work but what we often say to people is just start where you are right ground yourself in today in the present moment think about where you've been because you've probably already climbed a few really big mountains and then think about where you want to go and it starts to make the mountains ahead feel a little more manageable when you put that, the change into context. So walk me through an example of, of, of setting the, the foreground uh, yeah. before going into a situation. Like help me understand like a, a case study client that you work with so our audience can really visualize what you're talking about. For sure. So when uh, we first entered into the pandemic, we work with almost exclusively nonprofit organizations and foundations, right? mission-driven organizations. Many of those nonprofits we were working with were depending on their annual gala or their event, their big fundraiser of the year, to guide them through the next 12 months. 
right? So we had one client that had 80% of their revenue tied to their annual event that was then canceled. And they couldn't act fast enough to create a virtual, a virtual version of it, right? In the early days, it was just, that's done. And so in that moment, they needed to think about how are we going to pivot so we don't go you know, out of business essentially, right? How do we keep this mission going? So that was one when we had to help them think about what are the other ways we could reimagine this work that could keep your donors engaged, keep your founders, keep your funders engaged, even though the standard way of doing business was out the door. And there's been a lot of that in the last few years, how we've helped organizations think about where they've been, typical ways of doing work, and how, where they could be, new ways of doing work, and new ways of advancing their missions. You know, easier said than done, right? Getting people to think differently and think creatively about what they could be, where they can be. What are some of those key questions you're asking clients to help unblock uh, what's the obstacle that's getting in, in their way of pivoting and shifting their model to be much more resilient? You ask really good questions, Kevin, and I love right. this the, the idea that there's always something in our way, right? That on any given day, if we as individuals or as business leaders are thinking about where do I want to go, there's any number of things that are standing in your way. But we operate through, as you do and many listeners do, through that lens of purpose. Why do we exist? What are we adding to the world? What does the world need from us in that moment, right? Those are some of the questions. But if you really wanted to simplify it, for us, it comes down to one key concept. What is sacred to you and what is taboo? Meaning, what would you do even if you didn't have any resources in the world? You would still show up tomorrow and do certain things. Versus, if you were given a million dollars on the spot, you would not take it, right? Because there are certain things that are taboo to how you do your work. Hmm. So understanding who you are and who you're not, what you stand for and what you don't, that can be really critical, really essential to understanding where am I going to take this organization or where am I going to take this strategy? Yeah, there's a really good metamorph, metamorph, metaphor from Anthony Robbins where he, he kind of showcases, I guess shows a ship. And the, and the whole analogy is if there's a boat and you're no North Star is up here and that's really where you want to be. If you're an organization, you just take a little five degree turn over time you know you're going to be going in an opposite direction away from the core away from the purpose away from from what made you unique in the first place do you believe that the companies that you work with have already gone through that training they already understand what their core purpose is i mean how many companies are you dealing with that haven't quite figured that out yet it's interesting, Kevin. I think the majority of organizations we work with are in the process of revisiting their purpose. So we work with organizations who have been around for decades, sometimes centuries, and they were founded on a purpose and a mission that is no longer relevant. And sometimes they're questioning their role in the world given the context of the world. Mm -hmm. And so often we're showing up in that moment when they are saying, who are we now? Who have we been? And who do we want to be? And that's an incredible moment because sometimes purpose carries them through. 
The purpose is consistent and never changes. Very, very clear. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is a great example of that. They know exactly why they were founded. They know exactly what their mission is. However, even St. Jude questions how they show up in the world today versus how they showed up in the world 20 years ago. And so that's the distinction often is sometimes we're helping organizations reimagine it from the ground up. Sometimes we're helping organizations reframe it. And, and Carrie, I'd like to also go back to to kind of where we started. We we just we got after it. We got you know, we jumped right out of the gates into this. For people listening to this, they're about ten minutes. And they're like, wait, what? What? What does Carrie Fox's business do? What is Mission Partners? Tell us a little bit about what you, what the good work you all are doing and and uh, your vision as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, Mission Partners is a social impact communications firm, certified B Corporation, women led. We focus on supporting organizations in those mission moving moments, right? When they've got that fork in the road and need to figure out where they're going, we use the power of communications to power them forward. We help them think about where they've been, what their strategy looks like, and then how they push that strategy out into the world in a way that is meaningful and that matters and that can help move them towards the envisioned future that they have. And so that's the work that We've been doing at Mission Partners for the last seven years that I did at my, my prior firm um, for 13 years before that. Um, but I am grounded in purpose. And since I was a kid, my, I remember my mom always saying to me, you know, that, that I seemed to always have a clear line of sight into where I wanted to go, right? I always wanted to do work that mattered. And what we do at Mission Partners is we now help organizations do work that matters even better than they do it today, right? We deepen their impact. I like I like what you were saying about you. Know, you my mom always says like I knew where I was going, and and surfing like the analogy is you set your line. Like you when you get on the board, you look and you have to look in order to get your head up to raise the whole body up and set your line yeah. to go down the wave. Um, it creates a lot of focus, narrows down your focus to make sure that it creates clear priorities, clear objectives. What are some of the outcomes, or I guess? organizational changes, management changes that come from setting a very clear vision. Yeah, so I'll tell you a story about uh, a campaign we worked on for many years. It was called Success Beyond 18, and we were working on addressing the issues of the foster care system in the United States. So when we first took on this big, unwieldy problem, which often is what we do with our, with our clients, there were, at the time, about 30,000 young people that were aging out of care every year on their 18th birthday. Now, 30,000 to you might seem like a really big number. It might seem like not a big number at all, but we saw it as a number we could wrap our arms around. Meaning, for young people aging out of care at that time, 90% of them would end up back in a juvenile justice system. 80% of young women who aged out would be pregnant in the first year. And nearly every single person would experience homelessness at least once in the first year of aging out of care, right? Unbelievably terrible outcomes for a young person aging out of care on their 18th birthday. We advocated state by state, went to governor's offices and challenged those governors to essentially change the law, allow a young person to stay in care until their 25th birthday. Hmm. Because Kevin, if you can think back to when you were 18 years old, right on your 18th birthday, if suddenly you woke up and all you had was a plastic bag of your belongings, no family, no car, no job, no bank account, the outcomes would probably not be good, right? But if you can picture yourself on your 25th birthday, again, now aging out of care, 
You may have started your career. You may have a home. You may have a bank account. Your chances of success are significantly greater. So if we think about what's the possibility, right, of changing a system, right, a system like the child welfare system that is entirely broken on so many levels, you can do that by taking it bit by bit by bit, right, mm -hmm. and ultimately having a system that works better at the end of the day. Now, it still doesn't work perfect, but it works a whole lot better than when it did a few years ago. It's inspiring. You know, I, I think about the roommate that we currently have who grew up in foster care and then ended up joining the military to take care of her needs and really got her going and, and some stability in her life. But still, there's a lot of uh, irrevocable damages done. Um, but that just resonates so deeply at the core. It's impactful work, right? Like, What drew you to this space in the first place? Hmm. I think the world we live in, <laughs> sure. it's, it's hard, right? To wake up every day and to not feel overwhelmed by the number of issues that we see on any given day, whether those are climate issues or societal issues. And having this deep desire to do something about it. And I think what drew me to an agency environment was because I have so many passions it's hard for me to think about channel, channeling all of my energy into one thing, right? Into children's health or into local news or into affordable housing. I have this incredible job where I get to touch all of those things, right? I get to support leaders across nearly every sector in helping them think about how to be more impactful in their work. Was there ever a moment for you that helped clarify that realization in your, throughout yeah. your career? There were a few, but if I think very early on, Kevin, so I mentioned I started my first firm when I was 25 years old. I often say I, I didn't know any better, right? I, I just jumped into this work because it felt right. But many people early on said, you will never make it. They said, good luck if you have a firm after the first 12 months, because I had set out to support nonprofit organizations, right? And so everyone said, there's no money in that. You can't make a business out of supporting nonprofits. But the reality is there, there is, first of all, right? There are resources that come down from foundations that support incredible mission-moving work. But it was this um, really deep desire to follow my uh, intuition and follow my passion that I knew I could make something even as people were telling me I couldn't. And, and that feels really important for uh, young people just coming into the social impact sector that many times folks are, are told, go make your money, and then go do good. But I didn't believe that you needed to wait to do good, right? You could, you could find a way to be really impactful right at the start. Yeah, it's really impressive to start a business you know, that young. Was it 2004? Was the... 2004. 2004, incredible. So 19 years now, 19 years later, still doing this work. And, and, and you know, it's like... When Michael Jordan was in his career, he always had to find ways to reignite the flame uh, to motivate him. When we think about motive, the, the Latin root motif, the reason for doing something is the reason for doing something to prove others wrong, like you just mentioned. Is it to transform lives? Is it to make money? If you had to tell us like what drives you, what would that be currently? Yeah, I think it's always been the same thing, which is how do I leave the world better than I found it? And 
as a parent now of two girls who are trying to make sense of this world, it's how do I lead as a woman and as a mother that shows them a spirit of bravery, right? A, a willingness to try, a, a readiness to fail, all in the spirit of leaving something better than I found it. Okay, let's talk about some of those failures. What were some of those early failures as all entrepreneurs have yeah. in your career that really shifted your perspective? Yeah. So there's, there's a few parallels on this story. I was, um, the, the night that I had this failure, I was volunteering for an organization called Covenant House. Covenant House is an international organization, and they do something every year right around Thanksgiving called the CEO Sleepout. And you essentially sleep out on the streets of a city. Oh, yeah. In my case, it was downtown DC. Oh. They give you a, a cardboard box and a sleeping bag, and that's it. And you're raising money in the few months leading up to this to raise uh, awareness for uh, homelessness in your city. So here I was right? Sleeping out on a cold November night. It was raining at the time. I was fairly young in my career, really proud of what I was doing in that moment. And I got a phone call from uh, one of my clients at the time. It was our largest account, right? It was sustaining our work. And the client said, we need to pull everything we're doing with you. We need to shut down the account immediately. We've lost our funding. And so Kevin, in that moment, I was like, on a high about the amount of money I was raising for another organization and an issue. I was on my way up in my career. I was really proud of what I was building. And then just like that, the funding for our work, right? It was our largest account that was sustaining us was gone. Mm. And I had realized that I had put so much <laughs> of, of my, um, uh, almost, you know, a, a lot of, of what we had built, I had banked on one account. And that account was gone. And so what I learned in that moment is that if I was going to be successful in building this agency, right? We just came off the story where, where people told me I was going to fail. And I was in that moment suddenly where I was about to fail. But I knew I needed to diversify in a very different way, right? I could never move forward and say, I'm going to bank on one account to sustain us. And so now we think really differently about how we diversify our portfolio what kind of clients we take on, and the, the, what we learned, what I learned in that moment was incredible, incredible. That's an interesting point. And I think we're like, we're, where I'm thinking about this is like maybe the different mindsets between a nonprofit and a for-profit, but not to peg the two against each other, but more to say, in your experience, what have been those differences in the way people think, the things that you can learn from nonprofits that for-profits should know, the things from for-profits that nonprofits that nonprofits should know in terms of mm -hmm. thinking about money to sustain uh, an initiative? Yeah, yeah. Good question. So I think about for-profits and nonprofits equally as businesses, as they are. I think a lot of for-profits uh, write off nonprofits, not as business entities, even though they are, they're just a different type of entity. And so the best nonprofits run like the best for-profits, right? They are thinking really strategically about how they innovate, how they grow, how they make investments, how they uh, are thinking about changing and challenging systems. 
just as the best, the best uh, for profits are thinking about the power that they hold, right? Their, their power to change systems and dynamics, their ability to be, um, instead of a wealth center, a wealth distributor, right? So I often think about what for-profits can learn from nonprofit model and what nonprofit model can learn from for-profits. And, and, and what are some of those key, I mean, we want to generalize here, obviously, um, but what are some takeaways that you've learned from a nonprofit that you've been able to apply to, to your company? Yeah, I mean, mission first. Right, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest one, right? We're mission partners. So I think if we're guided by purpose and passion and mission, not by profit, then our, our impact can be transformational. And we know in the moments we've been guided by profit, then you know, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the impact is not very great. You know, a question I thought about on this show and that I've been wanting to ask you is to you, like, what's the difference between purpose and mission? Mm, purpose is higher. Purpose is a higher order. Are you familiar with ikigai as a concept? No. So in Okinawa, Japan, uh, is really where this concept began. Mm. And Ikigai, so, so Okinawa, I should start by saying, is one of the blue zones in the world. And if you're at all familiar with Dan Buettner's work, um, he familiarized the idea of the blue zones, which is seven places in the world where there is the greatest number of individuals who live to or beyond 100 years of age. And Dan went out to study why are people living so much longer in these areas. And so in Okinawa, Japan, he found out that they live by a concept of ikigai. And ikigai is uh, made up of four quadrants. So it is um, uh, thinking about um, where your passion, your mission, your vocation, and your professional line. And that is purpose, hmm. right? So how I show up in the world every day, how I bring value to the world every day, what the world needs from me and living through that every day, that that's your higher purpose of how you work, work live through life, right? And so uh, what, what he found and many other researchers over time have found is that in Okinawa, people live longer because of how deeply they focus on their purpose. Mission supports purpose, but purpose is the highest order. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you're sure, you're positive. It's not the sake. <laughs> they drink over there? Maybe the sake helps. I could have swore I actually heard, like saw a documentary on this, and they were actually like, "Yeah, like we drink a lot of sake." And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but sake is actually it's it's called a rice wine. Yes. But technically, it's beer. Not a lot of people know. A very potent beer at that. It is. It sure is. And that's an interesting point. I love those, like what we can learn from different cultures around the world. Um, you know, all it takes is one idea to make a transformative mm -hmm. shift in someone's life. Throughout your career, Carrie, like what are some of the best resources or books or stories, something that you can think that comes to mind that's really had a transformative shift of how you lead? Hmm. So there's a man named Mauricio Miller. He's a MacArthur Genius Award winner. I had a chance to learn from him very early in my career. He's my greatest mentor. He uh, started his career in social services. So he's an engineer by training, um, grew up in poverty, realized what poverty did to his family, and decided he wanted to do something about it. 
got into social services and realized that it was a rotating door, right? A family would come in for supports. They would get those supports. They'd go back out into the world. They'd come back the next day for more supports. There was no way of breaking the cycle. And he, he decided he was going to find a way to challenge the current system. And he took on a 10-year research study to figure out what would actually break the cycle of poverty. And he found out that when you invest directly in people, right, you don't, you don't invest in the system, you invest in the person, that person will know what choices to make to take themselves out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And so I have learned so much from him on the power of uh, investing in people, not in ideas, <laughs> investing in people, not in systems, and in being willing to challenge the status quo. Right. And so, so much of our work now is we often say we speak truth to power with love. Right. We're not um, advancing the status quo. We're thinking about how to improve on the status quo. And, and dealing with people is one of the most difficult challenges to do for any yeah. leader. You can't please everyone. No, so, if you, if you have someone that you're investing in, and they're new to the organization, and, and you really believe in them. I know, I know you have an entrepreneur in residence right now. Yeah. How are you approaching them? How are you working with them to make sure they're, make sure that they're empowered and, and also contributing? Yeah. So our social entrepreneur in residence, you mentioned, Ryan Pintado Vertner is his name. He's the CEO of an agency in Chicago called Smoketown. He is the expert, right? He doesn't need me to tell him how to do his job better. But he's our social entrepreneur in residence because we are uh, one. We're learning from him in terms of the expert of the expertise he brings in the field of marketing. But in return, we're helping him think about how to scale and grow his business. Right? He's early in his business, um, and he's he's looking to think about how he scales that. And so, Emission Partners, we think about ourselves as a teaching hospital. Right? We want to use every opportunity we have to take all of the skills we've learned over our career and share those. Because what, what good do they do, right? Just being uh, stuck inside our, our own organization. So it's an incredible, mutually beneficial relationship. We get to invest in his expertise. And in return, he gets an opportunity to grow and scale his company. A very interesting model. Um, could you explain a little bit more about how it works for those who aren't familiar, like myself, and what an entrepreneur in residence is? Yeah, so very specifically, uh, it was designed for Black entrepreneurs with five or less years of experience as a business owner. And the reason we are so focused on that set is because some key data about our sector, the communications industry, uh, very specifically communications agencies. According to PR Week, which is our our industry publication, 89% of agencies are white-led and white-owned, right? The majority of wealth in communications agencies is held by white individuals or white-identifying individuals. 8%, so 10 times less, is owned by Black individuals. That's a pretty significant disparity, right? And so at a time when every industry, but certainly our industry, is questioning how do we increase diversity at the top, the only way our industry is ever going to change diversity at the top is if we're investing in ownership at the top. And so we may be a small company, but we believe in the power of using our capital for good, right? Investing financially in Ryan and his work, helping him grow. Maybe the impact of that is that 
he gets to hire more employees. He gets to scale his company. He gets to have a greater impact in his community. And so maybe over time, this becomes a model that other agencies decide to take on too. Interesting. And what are like the unforeseen outcomes that have come from this that you didn't really expect that have been positive? So I was I was just on a call with um, some industry leaders yesterday, and they asked the same question. And I'll be very clear that this is not an initiative that we set up to be a marketing initiative. This is very specifically part of a commitment that Mission Partners made uh, to invest two and a half million dollars by 2025 into Black and women-led organizations. That said, I think it's important for business leaders who are considering taking on a project like this to realize that that mutual benefit is real, right? With my ability to now talk about Ryan as an extension of my team and as a thought leader on my firm, he and I are able to go after projects together. Mm. And in the first week of this project, he and I have seen some opportunities that would have been, uh, before we announced it, probably outside of either one of our ability to win. But together, we're able to win that business. And so mm. that's incredible, right? Like in a very short amount of time that our partnership, right, our opportunity to invest in one another is going to help both of our companies grow. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and I just think of it like you're, you're hiring a new employee to like the recruiting that I'm sure you're getting the, the applicants, the applicant pool that you're going to be able to receive from something like that. What a great opportunity for them, for you working together. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, leadership lessons now. This is the Real Leaders podcast, Carrie, right? Yes. Uh, we've been talking a lot about purpose, missions, dealing with people, uh, empowering them. How would you describe like your leadership style? Hmm. Well, the way I would hope other people describe it is highly empathetic, uh, highly caring and focused, and willing to name when I get it wrong. And that last part, I think, is the most important, right? Probably most times, Kevin, I get it wrong. But I'm always willing to say that I'm learning too, right? I'm on this learning journey. And what I'm most interested in is exploring what's possible. Thinking about if you're learning and you're constantly working on things that, you know, it's just not good enough yet, but you're getting there. Yeah. What are some of those weaknesses or opportunities for your growth that you see? Uh, so I'm going to name what I often feel as the elephant in the room. Kevin, we've already talked about the fact that I started my first agency very young. I often show up in the spaces that I'm in as if I'm not the youngest, I look the youngest. So as you look at my youthful face right now, hopefully you see no gray hairs. Um, that's a weakness for me, right? There's, there's a real challenge in business of how we as leaders show up and how we as women leaders are taken seriously, right? The credibility that I have, when I start coaching someone through something, the credibility is immediately there, right? I can, I can win someone's trust and keep that trust pretty quickly. But the ability to get the trust in that first initial moment when you're a young or young looking woman in business can be incredibly challenging. And so there are still societal dynamics at play that I need to, I need to um, realize in my work. And if you've been in business as long as you have, like you, you start to realize that trust comes on a bias coal and leaves on a Ferrari sometimes, <laughs> right? Like, I like that. What are, what are some things that 
people can take away in terms of building like legit valuable trust um, to make to make a more valuable relationship? What are some of those key yeah. trust building exercises? Yeah, I love that. So I think about trust certainly needing to be earned and then trust needing to be kept. And for that trust to be earned and then kept, you must be good to your word. You must be willing to prove that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. You must be an incredible listener with high emotional intelligence to understand when someone may not be feeling like something's going in the right direction, right? How you, how you pivot or shift in real time. But it's, a, it's all about connection, right? And, and here we are, Kevin, through Zoom line. We certainly are not in the same room, but the power of connection is still there, right? And, and to have trust, you need connection. You need to be able to have that with someone. And how has collaboration showed up in your work? It's essential. You can't be a mission partner without being in partnership. So that means both how we internally at Mission Partners collaborate with one another, how we create space to learn from one another. We often think about learning happening from top down, bottom up, and side to side, right? That we're all leaders from different seats, but also then how that collaboration happens in partnership with our clients, right? We're on these journeys together. We're not um, guiding someone along by walking in front of them, and we're not pushing them from walking behind, but we are literally in lockstep walking through the process together. And, and you know, we started this episode talking about like change management and, and people resist doing change in your organization on through the lens of leadership and leading a company, a team that's collaborative around this change in the organization. What is vital? Was some, someone listening to this? What is vital that they know before enduring something like this? Hmm. I think it's vital that there are spaces created for people to share what they're feeling about the process, right? And as a leader, we can't always say yes to a request that someone makes. Maybe there's a policy change that someone wants. Maybe there's a shift in a, in a role that someone wants. We won't always be able to say yes, but we need to create the spaces to really listen and understand how people are feeling at any given point to inform the changes and the, the adjustments we make, right? So it comes back to that connection, being able to be an incredible listener and connector um, with our, our teams at any given moment um, and, and being willing to make that change when it's, you know, when it's appropriate. It might not always be the change I want to make, but if it, if it comes up from the team and there's a strong rationale for it, I will make that change. Listening, collaboration, connections, trust building, some of the key characteristics you've spoken about today, Carrie. In all of this, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Hmm. I think you've just summed it up for me. The definition of a real leader is someone who is willing to go where others haven't gone, to do it with a brave spirit, an open mind, and a full heart. For Carrie Fox, I'm Kevin Edwards, asking you to go out there, go where others haven't, and always keep it real. Thanks, Carrie.
Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.